0: It is the 200-level episode 355, Hanging with Harry, Illinois versus Purdue edition. This might be an opening segment that sounds alarmist, and even though I try to avoid hyperbole sometimes, the fanboy in me can't resist. This game on Saturday is massive, I think, for a few reasons. We'll start with the obvious. In this Big Ten West, which is by most metrics, winnable, if this Illinois team figures a lot of things out, this is your first opportunity to get a road win against a Purdue team that I would imagine will get better as the season goes along. How good they ever become, I'm not sure. There's actually a chance Purdue's just outright bad. There's a chance that Ryan Walters isn't a great head coach, and only time will tell. But let's start with that. It's a Big Ten West road game that is very winnable. And in comparison to other road games you have coming up, like Minnesota and Iowa, you really want to take advantage of this one if you can. So that's number one. Number two, the start to the season has not exactly been what you want. You are 2-2, two and two, and I know a lot of people would have predicted that, and they were smarter than I, who thought, yeah, 3-1, and, and they're going to have a great start to the season. Well, regardless, even if you did pick 2-2, two and two, you probably did not anticipate that the two and two would look like this, which is to say, very sporadic and spotty and inconsistent. We've seen signs from every unit. We have. Enough signs to make you think that this team is not going to be inept. This is not Lovey Smith, the line-eye. I think if we are to be grateful for something, it's the fact that even when they haven't looked great. There are at least signs that this program is definitely in a better position than when Brett Bielema found it. So I don't have the existential worries at the moment. I do have a worry, though, that for these four games, it just hasn't looked better than what we've seen. The FAU game in its own way was discouraging, even though I, I, like most people on the poll Sunday that we put out, didn't really have their opinion changed so much by the FAU game. But we would have liked to have our opinion changed, that this team figured some things out, that they cleaned some things up, that it was a get-right game ahead of the Big Ten West schedule. It was not. But yeah, we kind of need this just for the start of the season. You're 2-2. Two 2-3 and two. Two and does not sound good. 3-2 and two sounds pretty good, especially when you have Nebraska awaiting next Friday night, a game that, again, by any metric, is very winnable, like most of them in the Big Ten West. So that's number two. Number three, though, gets a little bit more macro. And this is where the narratives for this week are really starting to kind of boil over as we get closer to Saturday. Now, there's not quite as much juice behind this game as if both teams were three and one, let's say. Because Purdue is one and three and have looked pretty bad the last two weeks, and because Illinois is two and two and has looked relatively uninspired, at least compared to the expectations we might have had. This is a game relegated to Peacock, and probably deservedly so. Even though you could argue that Michigan State at Iowa, which got moved, I think, to the primetime NBC slot, that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. This will probably be a better game than that. But the narrative element of this game is really what has me both intrigued and terrified. There is, of course, the relationship with Ryan Walters and Corey Patterson and Kevin Kane, and these were guys that helped you achieve success the likes of which you hadn't seen since the Rose Bowl year, in the 2022 season. Ryan Walters is, undeniably, objectively speaking, a great defensive mind. Can call a great defensive game, and he probably has a pretty high ceiling as a recruiter as well. A younger guy that can much easier relate, I would imagine, to these younger recruits than old Brett. And I love Brett, trust me, but it's... (laughs) Listen, these two guys walk in the room, even with the moxie that Brett Bielema has, Ryan Walters does have a cool factor about him that I would imagine would play well with these kids, even if it doesn't play so well with my 36-year-old self. So there's the narrative of recruiting, the fact that these guys, you'll have to recruit against many of the same players over the next few years, at least, to the foreseeable future. There's the fact that Ryan Walters was a big part of your success last year, where losing this game... All of a sudden, raises some alarm bells for Alani fans to think, well, God, how much of a factor was Ryan Walters in our success last year? I mean, was it really more due to Ryan Walters than Brett Bielema? Now, I don't think that's the case. I think that the CEO qualities of a Brett Bielema helped you accelerate the process of rebuilding and not even rebuilding, but just winning rather quickly, especially compared to previous Alani rebuilds. But it would be naive of me to say that Ryan Walters' defense... For really, the last eighteen games of his tenure at Illinois wasn't the biggest on-field reason why. There's also the fact that <laughs> Illini fans, and this is even more macro and existential, have seen this story before end up with a loss, not specifically of a former assistant coach now was a head coach and. Now, not necessarily that, but I'll take you back to one in particular. Back in 2008, Minnesota came to town. Now, Minnesota, I believe with Tim Brewster, was struggling at the start of the year. Illinois, I think, had just come off a win at Michigan where they won 45-20, to 20, putting up 600 yards of offense or some ridiculous number like that. Should be a pretty easy win. And yet that game goes along and it goes along. I think you lose 23-20, to 20, something like that. And it was pretty devastating if you think about it. Tim Brewster on the other end there, he had been talking, I believe, a pretty big game going up to it. There was a little bit of juice for the former Illini player, the recruiting maestro that I think Minnesota fans probably had a little higher expectations for, even though that guy fell flat on his face. And you lost him again in 2010, go figure. That was an example, I suppose, of the former Illini coming back and and burying you. But this would be much more damaging, I think. Damaging because of the Ryan Walters connection. Damaging because you haven't looked great already. And damaging because of Illinois' inauspicious history after successful seasons. Losing this game, I fear, would be tremendously damaging to the overall temperature of the fan base and how they feel about this thing. I'm willing to be patient because I do think that Brett Bielema is by far your best chance to stabilize something. And if you want a little bit of context, there's been this interesting thing going around Twitter of taking NFL teams or college football teams and saying, in the last 162 games, this is what they would look like if these were Major League Baseball standings. And I thought that was pretty interesting because it's going for a much you know, more macro view of how these programs or how these NFL franchises have performed. You can guess who's at rock bottom of the Big Ten. It's us. And it is a good reminder that there are many more systemic things that probably need to be fixed and addressed before Illinois starts winning big by any measure. And the Big Ten getting more tough next year only compounds the issue. Of course, there's work to be done, right? I acknowledge that. But... On the other hand, I also think, wait a second, it's not as if Illini fan expectations are unreasonable. Because right now, I think most Illini fans, if you ask them, other than a win total, which we always say seven or eight, other than a win total, what does success for Illinois football feel like? I think the answer would be this. You regularly beat the teams you should. And on occasion, you spring a big upset to feel really good, right? I think that's reasonable, and if we're using that as our sort of lens with which we view success for Illinois football, this is a game you got to win. So for all the previous mentioned reasons, the slow start, the coaching connection, the fact you're going to have to recruit against Brian Walters, the Big Ten West itself, and the way the fan base feels about this football program in its current iteration— I think it's massive. Now, I sat here before the Ford Atlantic game saying, quite simply, my mantra was, you win the next three, period. And I didn't really have a lot of room for negotiating that. And to be honest, even after it, a relatively uninspired performance against FAU, I still feel that way. You must win this game. No pressure, of course. And if I were to simplify it down to its bare essence, and I'm sure when I talk to Harry, I'll mention this again, you have a third-year coach, Brett Bielemann a program builder, well, we hope at least, who's in his, I believe, 15th-year coaching at this level versus a first-year head coach. Never done it before. So right there, you should immediately have an advantage. Coaching, you should have an advantage. Personnel, let's... At worst, call that a wash. Illinois lost a lot, no doubt. Purdue lost a lot on a defense that wasn't great to begin with. Lost Aiden O'Connell. And while Hudson Card is pretty pretty good, we see signs, certainly. Aiden O'Connell was a very good senior quarterback. This is a game you gotta win. And that might start sounding redundant by the end of this episode. But I don't want to want my fans to feel... Not necessarily guilt, but that they need to so drastically change their expectations where a loss like this is suddenly okay. It would be a loss where it's okay to be upset if that's how it ends up. It's okay to not be as excited about this football team. Because I think if you are still holding on, kind of like I am, that they can put things together. You're granting this team grace for the first four games and saying, all right, I get it. Things happen. But it's got to start now. It's got to start against this Purdue team. It has to start Saturday in West Lafayette to get this thing pointed in the right direction. Without even looking forward to when the Big Ten gets tougher and tougher. Without even really addressing that, yeah, this year is an opportunity to win games that you might not have on the docket in years going forward. Yeah, it's not going to get easier, guys. It's not. Stripping it back to its bare essence, the year after a bowl game, can you make another? Can you beat the former protege when you're the coach that has a heck of a lot more experience? Can you make this fan base feel good again? We're going to get that answer, either in the affirmative or the negative, on Saturday, around 6 o'clock when that game ends. You know, I'll be setting up for a gig in downtown Champaign, and I, I think... I'll take my computer with me and, and try to have a stream on as I'm setting up the PA and getting everything hooked up so I can watch it as I'm doing that. Or worst case, I'll take a a radio so I can actually listen to Brian Barnhart. And, and hey, that worked out well for the Illinois-Penn State 9 overtime game. I listened to most of that on my phone, the radio app that I have, while I was doing yard work, doing other things. And it worked out okay. And it was actually kind of a pleasant game listening experience. Felt like I got a lot of what I would have gotten watching it, too. But we're going to feel one way or the other at 6 o'clock on Saturday, and I hope to God, man, I hope more than than a lot of games in recent Lani history that they get this, because I do think it could be a springboard to a a rock-solid season, or it could be the beginning of a downturn for this team that with the issues they presented so far, it's no guarantee that they fix all of them. I think mentally, I don't want to see this team get into a precarious position where they're teetering, the confidence is teetering, and they don't really know if they're even good. I think winning Saturday goes a long way. Even if hypothetically Purdue just sucks and they go 2-10 and 10 this year, which I guess is a possibility, but I think you're probably looking at a 4-8 and eight Purdue team, don't let this be one of the four. Get the win. Feel good again. Because it would not be, as I mentioned in the last podcast, just a sense of relief if you did. It would be a sense of joy. It would be a Big Ten win against a rival that has a lot more juice behind it now. And going into the Nebraska game next Friday, I think we'd all be pretty excited. And hey, it's going to be October by the time we get to that one. So let's end this month on the right side of 500. After a tough start, pick up the pieces, start to put things together and feel good about Illinois football again. All right. This episode of The 200 Level, as with all of our episodes, are brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online, get a custom calzone with any topping you want, or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone, online at DPDO.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hanson, online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy and can be your guy as well. If you're looking for a new insurance agent, the communication from Brian and the staff is second to none. Just go online. You can get a free quote, free consult from them. They'll give you a quick call if you'd like it too. And we've been working with them for about two, three years and plan on staying with Brian and the staff forever. I mean, they're terrific, really easy to work with. That's Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent at brianismyguy.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call today at 217-841-841. Forty-seven twenty-eight to get your furnace check scheduled. It's that time of year. You got to make sure that when the weather does turn, that your house is going to be nice, warm, and cozy. They've done that for us now. Going into last winter, furnace purred like a kitten. This summer, AC, colder than it's ever been. It felt great. Thanks to the experts at Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. That's 217-841-4728. And finally, Owen Builders, LLC. Find them online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff are expert craftsmen, and you can check out their gallery of all the excellent work, from kitchens and bathrooms to patios, decks, home additions. And one thing that should not go unsaid, communication-wise, they're really good at this sort of thing. I mean, Luke knowing him personally, having met him a couple times, a great person to work with, I would imagine, and as we're kind of eyeing some projects around the house, we would go with him because we also know, unlike some contractors, you can actually trust on them to get back to you quick and have an open line of communication. For many people, you know that can be an issue. Not with Owen Builders. So go online to owenbuildersllc.com and get a free quote today. Also, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate their partnership with the 200 Level. And if you could rate and review us, on Apple Podcasts, that would be a great help for us. We appreciate it. All right. One more thing before we get Harry Black on. I, (sighs) Twitter. Um, (laughs) This is a quick Twitter thing. But really, it does lead to a broader conversation about what is the fan's role in a season like this? What is the hardcore fan or casual fan's role in a season like this? I want to start with some context. On Sunday, RPO The Jewels, which is a great... Um, Twitter account. I think it's at Witty Remarks. That's W H I T Y Remarks. They are a fun kind of joke, joking, jabbing sort of look at Illinois football. I think they jab when it's appropriate. I think they praise when it's appropriate. They have a good balance of humor and insight. So it's a good follow. And they posted about the announced attendance on Saturday, which was 52,000. That's impressive. Now, for anyone that was at the stadium for FAU, you know it was far less than that, and that's okay. You know, Of course, they were going to give the announced attendance, and we can chuckle at it, knowing that a lot of those are band kids, and a lot of them were actually even students of mine, that they had local football teams, like youth football teams, come to the game for free, and teachers came for free as well. They even let teachers stand up and get, get recognized. I felt a little bit bad because after they had, I, I had already said a few, I think, choice words under my breath. When a Barry Lunny series didn't go too well. Anywho, far less people than the announced attendance. Witty Remarks, at Witty Remarks, says on Twitter, basically, LOL. You know, they, come on. There weren't 52,000 people there. And Robert from Eli and I kind of chimed in. And this turned into a back and forth where Robert said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it, this is pretty much what he was getting at, that there's no benefit in fans poking fun at tickets sold versus the actual attendance and he did say and I'm pretty sure this is a direct quote it is in fact the most dangerous thing that the fan base could do what he's referring to I would imagine putting you know thoughts in his head here is that when the hardcore fans that go to the games or go to the tailgates regularly or buy the season tickets when they start getting kind of you know jabbing things like attendance, that's going to feed into this overall maybe toxic view of Illinois football, and that's not good for anybody. Now, on its face, I can go with that a little bit if you were to take a mindset that you know positive thinking leads to positive results. I don't always think that's the case, but I also know that there is a fine line between poking fun and outright cynicism. I don't want to be a cynical person. I want to be skeptical, but healthily so sometimes I fail at that. Well, anywho, uh, what it got me thinking was, within the last couple of years, there's been a few things that Robert has written about, and I, I do enjoy reading his stuff. He is never really engaged with me, and that might be by, you know, deliberate choice, and that's okay, but I do recall last year before the Iowa game, there was an article that he wrote where essentially he was saying, you know, we don't we don't need a sellout. We, I don't necessarily want a bunch of new people to come in and Share in the possible joy that I might feel Saturday against Iowa if they do, in fact, win. Because I think, in his mind, and for you know, this happens with musicians and if you, you know, fans of different musicians and different sports teams, if you're there on the ground floor and then you see a bunch of new people come in, you can kind of roll your eyes at it. But my take back then was, I want as many people in the stadium as possible, get them in there. So it seemed a bit contradictory that Robert took offense to this relatively innocuous tweet about the attendance. When, in my mind, one of my biggest pet peeves with Alani Twitter, and this probably is any sports Twitter, is basically the rules of fandom. How one should be a fan and how one should not be a fan. What fans should do and what they shouldn't do. Sports are both a personal and a shared experience. I've said that before. The shared experience part of it is in the stadium and in the tailgate lots. It's the memories you make with the people that you share it with. Often the shared experiences go back generations. And that's why college football, maybe more than any sport in this country, is so ingrained in families. You know, one person goes to the University of Illinois and then their kids go and then their grandkids go. And it's just a thing. It is in their blood. It's in my blood. And that is something that. You know, I try not to be proud of things I didn't necessarily accomplish, but it is one of those rare moments where I let myself go into full meatball fan mode and say, "I'm an alumni fan for better or worse. Damn it, I'm an alumni fan." That's the shared part. The personal part is, it's just a game. And for your own mental health, for your own sanity, do what you want to do. Buy the ticket and don't go. That's fine. That's your prerogative. Leave at halftime because half times are twenty minutes, and if you stay for the full game, it's three hours and forty five minutes. You know my take on that. Leave at halftime. This gatekeeping that that happens sometimes, and Robert has been guilty of this. This gatekeeping of do this and don't do that. I think is ridiculous, and. It seems, whether it's his cause du jour, I don't know. And I know that sometimes I bang the drum for probably pointless exercises as well. It's tough when you are a commentator, whether it's written like he is or verbal like I am, to not occasionally step in the mud. But it seemed like a very silly thing to attack or go after. And I just think, be your own fan, man. That goes for all the people that show up in Lot 31 or any of the other lots, whether they elect to go in the stadium or just watch it on TV. Fandom is your thing. When we start saying, well, you did this or that, so therefore you're not as good a fan as I am, I have no interest in that. That's the kind of worst meatball sort of fandom that is not constructive at all. So as you watch the game on Saturday, however you choose to or whether you just choose to listen to it, or next Friday at the Nebraska game, I hope that you have enough confidence in your own Approach as a fan that you don't need someone dictating to you how you should act. Do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> it's that's your personal relationship with Alonai Sports. All right, up my soapbox. It's time to talk some football with the man who knows it the best, at least at least that I know, and interesting to talk with harry about there's two kind of parallel tracks to look at one is what we've seen in the first four games and the relative lack of confidence that has inspired and the second parallel track is well even though it's been uninspiring and a little bit troubling at times where does it stack up with the rest of the measly completely minor big 10 west i mean it's just a bad division And one could argue by the end of the season, the worst Power 5 division we've ever seen. I mean, what's think about this. Whoever's in the East, the Big Ten championship game is a complete afterthought. There's not a team in the West that's going to actually really hang with a Big Ten East team in that championship. All that said, would I still be happy if Illinois were the division champions of the worst division in Power 5 college football history? Yes. I'd be ecstatic. I would love that. Give me that moniker. I I don't care. I will take it. First things first, though. Purdue. Where does Illinois stack up in this game? What do they have to do? Will they win? I know that Harry and Trevor were so on this notion that we're going to go in there and kick their ass because Brett a revenge game. Maybe we get that narrative this week. But things have changed. None of us feel quite as good about this Illinois football team. So without further ado, let's get to the one and only Harry Black. Harry, a win is a win is a win. And Illinois is two and two. And this is a record that a lot of people would have predicted. I gave my spiel on the Ford Atlantic game. I called the last podcast F-E-U because it left a lot to be desired. But what was your takeaway after watching that game?
1: Well, you remember what I was saying earlier in the week on the last podcast is that this is a game that you should win by three touchdowns. And, um... You know, Fagan strolls into the end zone. Not only do you win by three touchdowns, you also cover the alternative spread that I had on this game. So I'm one of those guys that's a little bit sour, but I digress. I understand why he did it. Um, no, I mean, it. The, what I take away from this game is that at the end of the day, what you said, a win is a win. You know, it's 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 not the prettiest win. It's probably... If you're looking at it and taking the score out, which is you know stupid since it's football, but if you're taking the score out of it, you're probably more impressed with aspects of what you saw early on against Penn State, especially on defense. Not to say the defense was bad. Defense was fine against FAU. But it, it just looked like you didn't come out saying that this was – or knowing that this was a game that you needed to win and probably should have won in a dominant fashion. The offense – the offense did what it had to do. Luke had moments again. Isaiah Williams had one of the best catches I've seen an Illinois receiver make since. I remember, I think it was Steve Hull made a catch on his butt in the end zone years ago. And uh, Malik Turner made another one, like a juggling one. That was pretty cool. But this was it was, it was an amazing catch. So I, I would say my overall thought of it is, hey... If you told me a month ago we were going to be 2-2, and I'd say, okay, it makes sense. You beat Toledo, you beat FAU, you lose to Kansas, you lose to Penn State. That's exactly what happened. I think the problem lies in the blowout feeling that you have from your two losses. The score was closer than what the game really felt like, at least with Kansas. And with Penn State, it more so got away from you. And your two wins... The Toledo one, you can look at the score and see that it was a little too co- close for comfort. And this past one, yeah, you could have won by, what would it have been, 30-13 to 13 or 30-17, to 17, whatever it would have been if you uh, had scored a touchdown on that last drive. A win's a win at the end of the day. And you just got to hope that this team knows that the real season begins this week.
0: I'd I like to get your take on this, having been in locker rooms and I look at the FAU game, and in my mind as a fan that's never played anything above eighth grade Park District basketball, that this is a situation where I don't care who you are, human nature kind of dictates your performance based on your opponent. And after a disappointing loss to Penn State, where if if you're an athlete at the level of these Illinois football players, they probably thought, oh, let's beat Penn State, let's get after it. Maybe a, a slight hangover from that game. Hence the 10 nothing start from FAU, which had me, quite honestly, Harry, like, livid. Worst case scenario, existential crisis in the stands, right? But is it fair, or is it uh, a little too, I guess, oversimplistic to say that the players may, in fact, have been overlooking this opponent a little bit because it was sandwiched in between the marquee home game and a game that we know at Purdue they've been talking about since last November?
1: I wouldn't say that they overlooked it. What I would think that the the tendency to be would for the beginning of this game, uh, because we had similar situations arise, notably in the 2014 season, when we opened up the season against I think it was Youngstown State. You were losing and then you won. You had a game against Texas State. You were losing and then you won all these teams that you shouldn't have gone down to in the first place. And then you end up coming back and winning by multiple scores for the most part. I think that what you do in a game like this past weekend against FAU is you come out and you think we can do, you know, we've been practicing. We're pissed off from last week. We're going to go out here, just guns a blazing and and do what we got to do. And sometimes that's a detriment because what ends up happening is you go out there and try to rely on your athleticism and you forget kind of what you had been doing in practice all week. You'll get into uh, you'll get into film session on Monday or Tuesday. You're looking at the past game, and coach will say, "Hey, you know, Jimmy Joe, what are you doing on this one? All week we were saying you're supposed to on this route, you know, cut in at five yards. You were doing it fine all week. Why'd you do it at six yards? Why'd you do it at three yards?" and the answer is because you know you weren't really thinking you were just more so in game mode you're trying to just you're trying to do more than what you were coached up to do. And sometimes, like I said, that can be a detriment when you think you can do that against a lesser opponent like FAU. And that's that's what I attribute the slow start to.
0: That makes sense. Just a overall sloppiness because you feel as if you don't have to pay to the attention to the details quite as much because you think you're athletically outmatching the opponent. I, I have this anecdote from when I was in fifth grade. I was in an all-star baseball team. And in fairness, they basically, if you had a pulse, you run the all-star team. So I really wasn't a star by any stretch. And we played the Fisher fifth grade team. And here we are from big, big city Urbana. And we think we're bigger. We think we're stronger. They 10 run ruled us in the third inning. Uh, and they all just looked a lot smaller than us. We, we made a rash judgment based on they're from a smaller town. They're smaller kids. We got this and paid no attention to the things that had made us a pretty good team before that. Probably the weakest metaphor i've ever used on the show harry i'm comparing my fifth grade all-star baseball team to division one football yikes all i
1: was gonna say is i'm surprised in fisher they're actually playing baseball and they're not more into fishing
0: uh, and so it's a shame well, I th-
1: that was the one of two things the other thing was i was just <laughs> gonna say fisher i hardly know her but that doesn't even work Oh in that god! Situation. well i mean
0: you'd have to you'd have to rack your brain a little bit but it could work now <laughs> let's start let's start with the offense because If we just look at the box score, minus the most important thing in the box score, which is the score, it was actually a pretty damn good game. You're talking 500 yards, 300 from passing, 200 rushing, and I know that Luke had some of it, but the bulk was from your running backs, and it was really well distributed. I saw after the game that Brett Bielema heaped praise on Barry Lunny, and I was scratching my head, like, what was he watching? And then I hear smart people like Jeremy Werner say, I think he called a pretty good game, And that after, let's say, a film session with Jay Layman, it appears that the things that a lot of fans like myself are frustrated about really stem from, guess what, the offensive line. What did you see? Because if anything, I noticed them less in the Penn State game for the better. And that against FAU, I thought, if anything, the offensive line reverted to a lot of the same issues in the first two games. And apparently it was even worse than I saw when I was in the stadium.
1: I mean, I, honestly, the reason that I would say you don't notice him as much in the Penn State game is because what's the one thing you noticed on offense in the Penn State game? It was Luke. Um, but, I, you know, I, I would say, personally, I thought, I, I liked seeing what we saw last week with the running game. I saw, was there a, was there a play where Josh got banged up? Um, I, I, I saw he had some, he had, this was probably his best game that he's had so far this season, which isn't saying much. He kind of started a little slow. But uh, but Josh uh, McCray had a couple of good carries this game, and um, and yeah, hey Ben, I mean, I think that the way that you get the offensive line going is, you, offensive linemen like to run block. The more so, the, the more you see the running game pick up, the more it kind of translates over to okay they'd say the run sets up the pass and that's not just because it stretches the field or it makes people, you know, makes the defense have to you know, be more honest with what they're doing, but it's also because it gives the offensive line a bit of a break from having to just literally kick back and let these guys run straight forward right into you. It is not easy to stand your ground when 300 pound guys are trying to run past you and through you. It's much easier to try to do the same to them. So I think that I mean, personally, I thought that the running game was on point, like you said, and I think that they that's what they can take from this game going into Purdue, going into the Big Ten season, is seeing that, okay, if we kind of give maybe Luke a little bit more of a break like we did in this past game, um, then, then then you won't necessarily have to rely on, rely on him as much. And the more you try to make, get the running game working, that... Inevitably leads to a um, you know the, a stronger passing offense and a stronger passing uh, offensive line.
0: Yeah, I was watching the game and in the first half when the run game was not working, I started to get frustrated, thinking, okay, it's clearly not working. Pass, pass first, set up the run. Does that work? Can it work in in reverse with pass setting up the run?
1: I passing setting up the run, it can work. I mean it can't work because the more if you're able to stretch stretch the field like let me put it this way if the pass is able to set up the run you're probably going to win that game by a couple touchdowns or at least you should because that means that they have to basically sit back and defend against the passing game I couldn't name necessarily well that's a lie but I there's no all-star superstar pro bowl running backs on the Chiefs yet they're still getting you know they're still getting carries they're still getting yards because the secondary has to make sure the best player in football isn't torching them so then when they're sitting back in coverage you hand it off to whoever Isaiah Pacheco and he gets 7 8 yards a pop because they're that worried for the um for the passing game you're obviously not going to get your passing game to be on that point but i think that if you are able to make it so that your passing game is more formidable if you're able to have more people than just Isaiah step up then that's inevitably going to open up um, open up more lanes for the running back, not just because the offensive line is going to feel more comfortable running the ball, but because of the defense's tendencies then having to defend more so against the pass.
0: And that's why I'm encouraged by what we saw with Luke Altmeyer against Florida Atlantic and how that translates to this game. So there's this metric online. Kelly Ford does kind of a Ken Palm-esque thing for football, for college football. And he has Ford Atlantic's defense is 91st in the country. Yardage wise, you look like an offense, a decent offense against them. You should have put up more points, but I digress. And Purdue is like 94th. Basically, they're the same quality of defense. And really, the eye test would bear that out when you've watched Purdue so far this year struggle mightily in every single game, including parts of the Virginia Tech game. And apparently, Virginia Virginia Tech is good. They stink. So, and think about this irony, Harry. They scheduled Virginia Tech, I'm guessing, eight or nine years ago. And I know that was maybe tail end of the Beamer era, beginning of the Justin Fuentes era, where they were still kind of Virginia Tech, thinking that's a marquee game. Then they get them when they suck. We schedule Kansas when they go 1-11 under Turner Gill, and now they're good.
1: Was that who it was? Was it Turner Gill? That
0: or one of, the, one of the cavalcade of fat guys they've had come through there. Maybe it was Charlie Weiss. I don't know.
1: Charlie Weiss, I remember they had Mangino. He was the only good one they had. I think Mancino or, or No. Mangino. Know, I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, whatever his name was. Um, no, yeah, that is funny because, you know, you look at what Virginia Tech's been doing this year, and, oh, my God, they got blasted. Rutgers is decent. Ruck, here's the thing. Rutgers isn't what Rutgers was, like, 10 years ago. They're kind of, you know, middle of the pack. They can make a bowl game every now and again. Good for them. But still, you get blasted like that by Rutgers. Yeah, you're you're in the doldrums.
0: <laughs> I'll say this. I am glad that we are not playing at Rutgers this year. I, I wouldn't want any part of that. Uh, we got lucky with the Indiana at home, that's for sure. But anywho, Luke Altmeyer against Florida Atlantic. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, you know, what I really appreciate about Luke is, apart from the one flaw that has been consistent, which is occasionally holding on to the ball too long, that's been consistent through four games. Other than that, that's a kid that can take a hit. Um, I don't know how many hits he's necessarily going to take against Purdue. I'm optimistic that we'll be able to scheme around that. And also the fact that Purdue's pass defense has been pretty rough. Their whole defense has been, but their pass defense and their ability to especially stop good receivers. So the connection, Harry, between Luke Altmyer and Isaiah Williams, that's giving me a lot of feel-good vibes going forward because especially for a younger quarterback, how essential is it that they have not just a safety blanket, the, the one guy they know they can throw to, but that safety blanket happens to be, statistically and eye test-wise, a number one receiver. Isaiah's killing it this year.
1: Yeah, it's not like in the past when your safety blanket has been, well, our offense really hasn't been good to the point where you even had a safety blanket. But nine times out of ten, a safety blanket is either a running back or or a tight end. That's why in fantasy, if you're going to pick a bad player, say, for... or a good player or a player from a bad team with, say, a rookie quarterback, you're going to want to pick up, I don't know, like Miles Sanders on the Panthers because who's Bryce uh, Young going to be throwing it to? Him. Or, say, on a team with a young quarterback who has a decent tight end, you want to pick up that tight end because he's always five yards in front of you. To have it be a wide receiver and have it be your best wide receiver, Luke's able to have that kind of connection. He's hit him on a couple of deep throws this year. He had the one against Penn State. He had the one like I said, the beautiful one this past weekend against FAU, that's huge. That's huge because that kind of gives Illinois something that we haven't had. I mean, when was the last time we had a vertical threat? I mean, you're, you're talking like Ryan Lankford, you're someone who could actually go deep and actually stretch the field. I, I can't think of anyone.
0: I mean, I guess Josh Madderbebe had the ability— uh, he but was yeah,
1: but he's was body. more of like a bird guy. Yeah, I mean, if he was going the distance, it's because he was catching a ball ten yards and just bullying people over on his way for a mm-hmm. touchdown. So I think it's huge. I think it's huge, and I think that I think that the the, the more consistent that um that connection can be, because they had their best game this past this past weekend, uh, the 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 more consistent that can be, the more that opens up the passing game for for your other guys, and it, it, it has to.
0: You know, another encouraging thing – well, I say encouraging. It starts with a discouraging thing, but it grows encouraging because I think he'll grow into it – is there were two missed deep throws in the second half that he could have had Isaiah twice more. He just overshot him in both of those cases. Better to overshoot than undershoot, that's for sure, because, you know, that's just – I would assume that's a cardinal rule for – if you're going to throw deep, overthrow, right? Can't yeah, you want
1: to – the thing you always hear them say, especially say if it's an out of bounds throw or, or you know, when you're in the end zone, you throw that fade. You want to put it where it's either a a, a catch or it's incomplete. The the last thing you want to do is if you're going to throw a jump ball, you don't want to throw it short because most of the t- most of the time the DB is the guy who's trailing. He's not the guy that's in front.
0: You know, there's something about being in a stadium and y- you were asking about deep threat and I thought you were talking about quarterback, but you were referring to the wide receivers that could stretch the field. There is something about being in a stadium and knowing that at any given moment, your quarterback may just launch it 40 yards. And there were enough of those on Saturday. It's that kind of like everyone kind of gets six inches off their seat and they're watching. And, you know, that element of Luke Altmaier. It's that it's his overall demeanor. It's the fact that he bounced back, and I, yes, consider the opponent, but it's the fact that he bounced back from his worst game with his best. I, I think Harry, the reason i'm I'm super encouraged by him beyond the physical tools, which are obvious, is that it does seem like there is a swagger and a kind of quiet, you know confident leadership about him. That is that kind of be, belies his age, because he's only a third-year redshirt sophomore player. It's not like he's some senior like a Tommy DeVito who had his confidence in spades last year. Um, but he seems to have his own kind of variety of that, and I got to imagine that for the guys in the huddle, they can rally around any kind of confidence, whether it be quiet or loud.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I don't know Luke personally. Well, not honestly, obviously. I don't know Luke personally, but... it. it you're going to rally around your quarterback regardless of who it is, unless it's someone that you actively dislike. Like it seems like the jets do with Zach Wilson. <laughs> my, my God. But it, it, um, it, it does help when that guy is also talkative. Um, if, if that's what Luke's able to do, then it's easier. Like you said, to rally around a guy like that. It's just, it is nice to see a quarterback on this team. And like you said, nothing against the guys who have been here in the past. Um, You know, whether whether they were good quarterbacks or if they weren't able to you know necessarily meet the bill. But this guy, he like you said, when you say he has a swagger about him, I feel like he's got what that registers with me is he has the ability to make big plays. Like you you could see Brandon Peters drop back there and he he made a couple good throws, but you never really had the feeling that if it was like a third and five that he was going to throw a 50-yard pass down the field. And this guy is someone who seems like he has the ability to do that. He has the ability to make something out of nothing. On that pass to to um, to Isaiah, he was I, 9 times out of 10 when we've seen an Illinois quarterback, 99 times out of 100 when you see a quarterback rolling out to the right, he's either going to run out of bounds, he's going to throw it out of bounds, he's going to throw a terrible pass, I don't remember the last time we saw a guy stop, set his feet, and throw a strike. So it, it is something different. It's it's that it's that X factor that I think we've seen flashes of. And when you have a guy who's that young in Luke, who's going to be here for the foreseeable future, well, with college football these days, who knows? But let's 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 just say that he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. That's something that bodes a lot of confidence because as you you know, as new guys come in, as he's able to develop his skill set even more, those flashes are going to start to hopefully turn into something more consistent.
0: Quick question. This relates to the offensive line and, and Luke. He has taken some hits this year. I, I mean, how much of a rallying cry is it when the guy takes the hit and delivers the throw? I mean, of course, the, the signature one was in game one. But he's yeah. doing this on a semi-regular basis where he's taking a hit, or even if he take the— uh, trick play where he found uh the tight end down the right sideline and he, he was under duress he was able to make one guy miss and stay alive just enough to throw that ball but i mean from the from the stands that's that's like whoa that's crazy good awareness in the pocket but it also shows this toughness that he's not afraid to get hit is there a sort of uh contagious element within the huddle when you see your lead guy do something like that
1: i will say i mean The first thing you always do as an offensive lineman when you see your quarterback get hit or if you see your quarterback get hit, you see your running back get tackled, whether it's down the field or if it's behind the line scrimmage, you go and you pick him up. That's the first thing you always want to do. So I would say after that, as that play is developing, I haven't even looked at the replay from from Luke's point of view, but I'm sure if he's on the ground, the first thing that's happening is an offensive lineman is helping him up and then they're celebrating – as they're going down the field, as as the play develops into a touchdown, that's the extent of, I would say, maybe the the uh, the excitement, at least from an offensive lines point of view. Because you got to you got to remember, if that's happening, that means that's one of your guys, in all likelihood, that took that shot. So when that when it comes back to film study, usually what you'll hear what I what I could hear Coach Buck is saying right now would be, "Hey, look at this throw that he just made." If we give him time and don't get him killed, he's going to be able to do that. It's on us to not let that happen again. I, I mean, the, 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 that throw, the the fourth and fourth throw, week one where he gets absolutely annihilated, those are plays that are going to be seen as, that's great, that's great. What It, it led to a win. It led to a win. It was a great play, probably the best play of the game. It's also going to be one that is a focal point of the offensive line unit, especially to say, we can't let that happen. This guy is able to win us games when this does happen. Imagine what he'd be able to do if we were able to keep his jersey clean.
0: When we turn tune into Peacock on Saturday, our eyes will be on the offensive line. I mean, that that's that's the focus on the offense. It feels like you have enough knowns elsewhere that really the last remaining big question offensively. And I guess Lonnie's play calling can be put into that. But let's say the offensive line plays a clean game. I think they're going to score some points. So defensively. You know, despite the 96-yard drive at the end, and of course that's frustrating, the fire department was back, is what they called them last year, because they extinguished three really good opportunities for Florida Atlantic in that second half. And I thought for three and a half quarters, again, the defense looked like last year. And there's some new toys out there, some bigger freshman cornerbacks like Toby, who had a great game, Sabor Kareem, had three pass breakups. So what's your initial takeaway? Let's start with the secondary. All these new guys, these new pieces, and while the opposing quarterback, I think, got 250, it was 5.5 yards per attempt. You'll take that any day of the week. And I thought the secondary overall was pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, that just means accumulation. That's like uh, my, my dad, this is completely off topic. My dad, when we look at the top running backs of all times, yardage-wise, you always see Curtis Martin and Frank Gore up there. He's like, "Well, the hell? Those guys weren't any good. They were just in the league for a long time, which in and of itself is a crazy skill to have, being able to be a running back for that long without getting hurt. But I think this comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the season, because it was a worry. It was a worry as I say twice, because when I put my hand in front of my face right there, (laughs) I was like, I bet that that couldn't come across right there. Now I'm going to listen back and I'm going to hear it. And I'm going to be like, I didn't even have to say this whole 32nd little extra part. Anyway, I think that it comes back to the uh, fact that the, the secondary, the secondary development is a strength of this, uh, of this coaching staff, because You had some really solid pieces going into last year. I don't think anyone really thought that Devin Witherspoon was going to be the fifth pick in the NFL draft last year. That's a credit to the coaching staff. Have you seen – I'm an Eagles fan, so I see it. Have you seen Sidney Brown Mm -hmm. for the Eagles? Week one, a huge hit on special teams. This past week, a breakup on Mike Evans in the end zone that would have been a touchdown. I mean – these th- th- these guys are producing at the highest level. They're, they're starters. And that starts with their being coached up by this coaching staff. So I think that there was obviously some hesitancy coming into this season with all the guys being as green as they were. But you got to imagine they're only going to get better. And to see them being able to you know mature this quickly ahead of the, the real Big Ten slate, it's... Uh, it, it only instills more confidence.
0: This is going to sound reductionist almost, but if last year's defense was a nine out of 10, and I think that's probably fair to say all things considered. I mean, number one scoring defense in the nation. Can I give them? I less mean, than that's, that's what I was
1: going to say. <laughs> I mean, for, that might be 10 out of 10. So I mean, they're not
0: Jordan. This yeah. one to me is a seven out of 10. I think when all said and done, this is a good seven out of 10 defense. I think they're good. And I think, that can be enough in a lot of these games. You have the known quantity up front, which really has started to kind of look themselves the last two games. And then you have the secondary, which, like you said, this seems to be the, the never-ending supply of Bielema and Aaron Henry. And I know Ryan Walters before that coach secondary guys. I mean, I had so – I got to say, Harry, and I want to get your perspective on this. When you're watching a defense, what unit do you look forward to watching the most? Because for me – I think in this past happy college football landscape, a really hard-hitting secondary, ball hawks and everything like that, that to me is really exciting. So I was just watching this Toby kid, Zachary Toby in the second half, thinking, who's this number five? And he kept making himself known in his first action. And that that's the kind of stuff that really excites me watching it.
1: It's fun watching a secondary. I mean, honestly, i I think you're going to know my answer just because of my my history and my tendencies. I watch the defensive line because if you have a good defensive line, that's able to, to stuff up the run game or get pressure on the quarterback. It is beautiful to watch because the offense, think about it. The offensive lines job, their one job is literally to either move you from point a to point B or to Stand in front of you and use their strength to keep you from getting to where you want to go. That's all the offensive line is there to do. If you have guys that are able to, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of using the uh, the Eagles Buccaneers game this past weekend as an example, or this past Monday as an example, on the defensive line, when you have a really good defensive line, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis stuffing up that run game, it is one of the most beautiful things to watch because you just know. It doesn't matter. You can put four guys, you, your you're four down linemen right there on the line, and you don't have to bring anyone extra. You're going to be able to stuff up the run game. That opens up so much more for your defense with the possibilities of lending help in the passing game. So I think what I watch is I watch, obviously I watch Randolph, I watch Newton, I watch the pass rushers. I, 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 I watch that to see, you know, are we able to impose our will? Because that's really where, at the end of the day, as a you know offensive lineman, I watch it kind of with that simplistic mindset. I'm watching our defense against their offensive line. If their quarterback has all day and he has that pocket, you can tell it's going to be a long game. When we were losing that first, uh, or when we were losing the the uh, the, the line of scrimmage, and when uh, Jalen Daniels had that kind of pocket against us, I looked at that and said, "Wow, it is going to the way we win this game is if they just." give it to us because we have no pressure on them. There is so much space. We don't look like we belong with, uh, with where our offense or with where our defensive line is at right there. And consequently, whenever they were on defense, that offensive line was given, you know, Luke, no space. It didn't look like we were moving the, the, the trenches at all. So This is a very long roundabout way of saying, I watched the defensive line because as a former offensive lineman, that's my way of saying, okay, how does it look like we are doing in this game from a physical point of view? How much stronger are we than them or are they than us?
0: Let's talk about this game cuz this game means a lot. First question, what Big 10 West team do you want to beat more than Purdue? And if the answer is <laughs> if the answer is no one, that's okay because I've been pondering this, Harry. Two years ago, I recall distinctly. So this is 2021. Uh, Isaac came over to record a podcast during the second half. Illinois loses 13 to nine. They punted late in their own territory. Purdue goes on like a 90 yard drive. I kind
1: of remember that. Yeah, I was at work for watching that.
0: Yeah, incredibly frustrating. We actually, as I was trying to save that second half podcast, it just got destroyed. And I said, "Fine, good riddance." I just recorded a post game podcast where I was really, I was really ticked off because it felt like the Maryland game before Where you were overly conservative and you lost.
1: If I recall, if I recall, because I only have snippets of that game, you were winning most of it, right? Was it like nine to six? Mm -hmm. You punted late. They go down the length of the field, just like Maryland, and then they score a touchdown. You get to like the fifteen yard line, and then you know what always happens: second and ten, third and ten, fourth and ten, turnover on downs.
0: Something like that. I think that's right. We did get a chance late. That was two years ago. Last year.
1: Let's, let's not talk about last year.
0: They kept you from Indy. They kept you from Indy. You kind of kept yourselves from Indy, I think, with a very lackluster performance. But okay, so I kind of know my answer to this. What Big Ten West team do you want to beat more than Purdue at this moment? Uh, Is it anybody?
1: I mean, let's 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 list them all. There's Minnesota. Who cares? There's Nebraska. There's Whatever. Iowa. There's Northwestern. Wisconsin. I, I guess I guess it's Iowa because because. the the win you had against them last year was kind of, it was grinded out. Um, I kind of just want to see us, if we're ever able to beat them by multiple scores, which I have never seen. Last year was the first win over them I've ever seen. I've seen a couple wins against Wisconsin. I've seen a couple wins against uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Northwestern, so I'd say Iowa. And that, I mean, Jesus, what we saw last week from Iowa against Penn State, good Lord. I, I, I I would say it here's what I'll say. it's Iowa but it's like it's like my hand on the screen is th- like way above the screen this is where Purdue is and then here's everyone else
0: yeah I think that's that's pretty accurate Iowa has the history between the two schools but oddly enough I don't hate Iowa football as much as basketball because I don't hate Kirk Ferentz. I, I just can't for some reason he just seems like a chill enough guy I mean, he doesn't bother me
1: yeah yeah I mean if you if you ask me, because it's hard to have. I was thinking about this the other day. It's hard for Illinois to necessarily have rivalries in football because we're you know we're not as much a threat to some of these other teams. So I do kind of think our biggest rivalry in football, at least the way it's felt for me, is Purdue because mm-hmm. we've had the most big games against them, whether or not their actual big games or what the ones we circle. I mean, what was it? It was it, this one's huge. The one last year was obviously the biggest one in recent history. We had a game against them in 2019 right after Wisconsin in the muck where we were basically saying this one is huge because Wisconsin, that win is big, but only big if you're able to back it up against Purdue. Uh, You go back to either I think it was 17 or 18 where we were talking about how if we're going to make a bowl game, it's going to be because we beat Purdue and then we lose 42-7. to (laughs) Um, You you have – when you look back at any kind of semblance of a big game that Illinois has had in recent history, it's usually Purdue. So I would say them as far as what your biggest rivalries are. And then just this year, I mean, Indiana is the second one just for obvious reasons. But I don't think even that's that big a football rivalry either.
0: You know, the narratives in this game are fascinating. We'll get to the the personal thing between Bielema and Ryan Walters in a bit. Bielema has beaten every Big Ten West team except Purdue. I mean, you've beaten the likes of Wisconsin and Iowa as an Illinois head coach in your first two years, and you haven't beaten Purdue, and both of them, uh, I'll say this. I, I think you played last year's game ten times. The way those two teams came out that day, I think Purdue probably would have won six of them. It just didn't feel right. It, it wasn't right from the start, even before the interception that should have been for Witherspoon. I know that was a turning point, but it didn't feel right. So, Oh, and by the way, quick aside. My favorite Lovey Smith game was the Purdue game that year because one, I wasn't there for the Wisconsin game, and it at the moment felt fluky. And then to follow it up with Purdue, and I know it was a rain, muddy, just mess over there, but you won convincingly. You dominated them, I think 20 to 6, or I don't even know. And it felt like, oh crap, like we've we've turned a corner. But I digress. You know, this Harry to me, I look at Purdue and no fault of their fans. I don't really have beef. That much with Purdue historically, but any time that I feel like a peer has a leg up on you, you know, just and there's no really explicable reason why, I get pissed. And I'm sick and tired of watching sold out Ross Aid Stadium under the lights, that this freaking football program at Purdue actually kind of has a thing. And I'm still waiting for the thing. And my fear, Harry. If Illinois loses this game, I think it is tremendously damaging. I think it's damaging on the recruiting trail. I think it's damaging as far as how fans perceive Bielema in some way. I wouldn't jump the gun that far, but it would really suck losing to your protege. And a team that, honestly, if you play a B game, you should beat. Is this a must win? I, mean, I know it's not as far as you could, of course, rattle off other wins, but for all the reasons I just listed, does it qualify as a must win in a sense?
1: I'm always I'm always hesitant with the must win narrative. It's one of those it's it's not right up there, but it's kind of on par with my he's due narrative, which is my least favorite thing in all of sports. He hasn't got a hit in his last thirty plate appearances. That's why he's gonna get one now. Let's put him up there, see what the kid can do. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I think it's as close to a must-win in a game that doesn't necessarily knock you in or out of anything as it could be, because the the optics of it. If you lose, it's three losses in a row to Purdue, really, because we didn't play them in 2020, correct? I, I don't think no, we, we did.
0: I, the, the COVID year, I feel like you lost to them in Minnesota at home back-to-back or something like that.
1: Is that what, I mean, that whole year is a blur to me. Yeah, Regardless, I mean, we were
0: two and six. The last,
1: so. Yeah, the, the last real win... You had against um, that you had against Purdue would have been 2019, which is forever ago and ridiculous. I mean, and this is this is aside the point because this game isn't at home. But Jesus, when's the last time you beat Purdue in Champagne? I think it's I think it was probably before even I was going to school here. I,
0: I think because you didn't play them every year until the Big Ten yeah. West. So if I recall, you did not play them the Rose Bowl year. You played them in 2008. No, you didn't. God dang, Harry. I mean, in 2009, you lost on the road to Purdue. In 2011, you lost on the road to Purdue. I get the feeling that you beat them randomly at home in 2010. And certainly, I mean, I don't know. Did Bill Cubit win at Purdue in twenty? That was at Purdue in
1: 2015. We Yeah, that was my time there. We beat them at Purdue 2013. We had the Orange Out game where we lost to them, where they had like 400 yards rushing or something obscene. It wasn't 400 yards, but it was something obscene. 2015, you beat them by a lot. 2016,
0: I don't know if you played them.
1: I, th- oh god, what happened in 2016? You you would have to have played them because that was they were both
0: were uh, both in the west. I don't I don't know though because if well maybe maybe you're right about that, and I know that you the three wins in 2016 were Murray State. Michigan State, Rutgers? I don't know. Shoot. That's
1: right. That sounds right. So, yeah, you would have lost to them at home. I don't remember the game necessarily, but you would have lost them at home. So that's just a whole another side. Back to if this is a must win. it's just, Like I said, it's as close to a must win as you can have in a game that doesn't have any actual standing implications because of the optics. You don't want to lose to arguably... Right now, I'd say they're your biggest rival in football. I'd say I know you don't necessarily have the same kind of history or the in-state thing that you have with Northwestern, but Northwestern's a tire fire, and Purdue you actually have this hatred for because of what they did to you last year. So I, I, I would say that with that, the fact that you haven't beat them, the fact that it is his protege who's you know not looked good so far, you don't want his first good-looking performance to be Against the team that he was with last year, it, I think that it would be damaging to say if you lose this game in any fashion. If a guy's trying to pick between you and Purdue, what can you show him like a reason why to pick you over Purdue? Your best year was last year, and Purdue was better than you. That's that's troubling. You need to you need to get off the schneid. You need to beat them again eventually.
0: Good use of off the schneid. I mean, here's the thing Thanks. if you lose if you lose this thing, I mean, you know, let's be let's also talk about the optics. I mean, they got a young coach with bulging biceps that wears tight black t shirts to press conferences. And it just pisses me off. Uh they got they got the young cool coach who so far has struggled. Bury him. Harry, I, I'm afraid the bloodlust is gonna come out when I watch this game. And I'm trying to here's the approach I'm trying to take, foolish and futile as it may be. You gotta win. I got to see it. I got to see this Illinois team put together a solid B game. They don't need to play an A-plus game to win this. They just got to play a solid B game, and I think they sneak out and win at Purdue. And if everything goes right, I think they can actually beat this Purdue team, much like Syracuse, much like Wisconsin. Because here's this random thought I had, Harry, and I ran this by Trevor and Isaac. I want to run it by you. In the Big Ten West, as far as highest ceiling, I'm talking if everything goes right, I actually think highest ceiling belongs to two teams wisconsin yeah and illinois but problem is with high ceilings that doesn't mean the floor is necessarily high either i think this game is just (laughs) they they gotta win it because i think it does have ramifications beyond saturday and even just looking at this year for bowl eligible bowl eligibility but also showing people they can win toss-up games they can beat lesser teams than them it Got to happen, man. What do you think about the ceiling hypothesis that I had?
1: I, It's tough to say anyone in the Big Ten West has a high ceiling, man. I mean, this, this division looks pretty bad. I mean, I would have said on the opposite side, I would have said before this past week, the highest floor would easily have been Minnesota because when's the last time we didn't see them win seven or eight games? Not anymore. Not when you lose a 31-10 to 10 lead against the worst team in Power 5. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, Jones. I, I, I would say best, highest ceiling, I would say because of a promising coach, even though I keep coming back to the fact that Luke Fickle is not shown at the Big Ten level, he's promising. There's a reason he got the job at Wisconsin. I would say, yeah, and because we've seen them do it. Uh, there's a reason they got ranked even with not having a great year last year at the offset of this season. So I think by default, they're probably the team with the high ceiling. I think if you take coaching staff into consideration though, then you probably would throw Illinois in there. That's just because though of the coaching staff, because otherwise what we've seen on the field so far doesn't really back that up. Uh, I would be hesitant to say that I Iowa, was probably the team with the highest floor right now. I mean, they got blown out, but that's Penn State. That happens. That was at Happy Valley. So, you know, what's funny is my dad actually texted me early on. He said, wow, Iowa looks good. And then I was like, oh, it's like 7-0, 10-0. Yeah, I guess so. And then I keep looking back and like, wow, that, maybe that text was sarcastic because <laughs> they, they, uh, they got blitzed. But I would say probably they have the highest floor right now. Highest ceiling, though. Could you because, see yeah, I got to go with Wisconsin. I I want to put us there. I just from what we've seen this season so far, and I do. I I hate myself for it, but I do still have that feeling because I think I know what question you were going to ask coming up. I still think we kind of win this game handily. I still at the beginning of the season I thought we were going to win this game by a couple touchdowns. I mean, you're not the only one with the bloodlust. I mean, oh my God, how pissed they must be going into that game. The closest thing I've ever had to it would have been because we we didn't have um, we didn't have any huge revenge narrative games when I was at Illinois. We didn't because we just weren't necessarily that good. When I was in high school, my junior year, we were probably one of the we were one of the best teams in Florida. And in the middle of the season, we lost a random game to this team called uh, Edgewater. We lost, by, they were like a middle of the pack team who beat us by two touchdowns. And it was because we came into that game not ready. And the next year, oh my God, did we want to kill them? And we, we came out, I think we won by a couple touchdowns because you come out there and you want to just make sure they know that all week the coaches are going to kind of be saying a little bit of, Hey, just focus on what you're doing. Focus on what you're doing. They're also kind of saying, "Focus on what you're doing." P.S. Remember what these M.Fers did to you last year, and that was just for me in high school. These guys, <laughs> these guys didn't get to go to Indianapolis to play a team that they probably should have beaten earlier in that season. Who knows what happens if it's on a neutral field? I think that that paired with the uh, the the fact that Illinois, even looking as average as we have this year, look better than Purdue, and the away team seems to have the advantage in this series for whatever reason. So, or I guess Purdue does when they're the away team. We we kind of split with them when we're there. <laughs> but I I I think I I I just have this feeling you're going to come out and and you know the, the way I think it gets done. I don't think Luke's going to have a huge game. It's just that turf there, the grass. It's just, it's mucky, it's ugly. Even if it's not raining, it's always getting torn up. It's, it's, it's not the greatest playing surface in the world. Um, so I I think it's going to be a. This is the game the offensive line has to impose their will, and against the weaker defense, I think this is where you do it. I think you run this ball down their throat, and I think you win a game where maybe it's like, oh god, I would love a game where it's like twenty four to six. Where it's like, okay, the score, it's not a crazy blow. Or even just like twenty to six, but it's like, damn, they were never in this game. That's what I think that the coaches should come into this game with a mindset of, and that's kind of what I have the feeling is gonna happen.
0: Twenty to six. Wow. I will let people know that we both predicted a win at Kansas, but but I will say that was after one game. We are yeah. so you are still going, Harry, off of the four game sample size you've seen from Illinois and the bits and pieces you've seen from Purdue. Even with the messiness with Illinois, you foresee a win, and you do think that the mental component of this game will be in Illinois' favor as well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's too overwhelmingly obvious to not be there. I the the coming into this game when we watch it on whatever it's going to be peacock nbc what, what is is is, is mm-hmm. it's not nbc anymore Just peacock. it's peacock that game they're going to show you the graphic they're going to show you flashbacks to last year's game and they're going to show you you know they're going to show you uh week whatever it is 12 or 13 when Purdue beats indiana and gets to go to indianapolis instead of you they're going to show it so you, that th- These guys are thinking about that, because whether they're, you know, and I even wouldn't be surprised to see guys like um, like Sidney Brown, uh, Palcho come back and say, like, on whether it's even just a Zoom video or something, you got to get it done this week against this team. They kept us from having the best season in Illinois history last year, and you got to make sure that they know it.
0: Oh boy. Here's the thing, Harry. I still believe in Brett Bielma. I believe that Brett Bielma is the best opportunity this program has to really get solid footing. And I recognize it's not going to be perfect. And certainly this year it has not been. Another mantra I've been saying for a couple weeks now, third year Brett Bielma needs to beat first year Ryan Walters and first year Matt Rule. He has to. It has to happen. And personnel-wise, you are not at a disadvantage against either of these teams. And it is a situation where I think you could safely argue you have a personnel advantage against both of these teams. Now, while Illinois has not put together a complete game, and I don't feel great about it, even after these first four games, i got to say, when when push comes to shove, Illinois wins. They have. I mean, I-, I keep saying they have to, and it's like, well, what do you mean, carb? It's like, well, for so many reasons. The mental aspect of it for them, the revenge narrative. Bielma's record, usually in revenge narrative games. Last year against Purdue was one that, if you qualify that as a revenge game after the 2021 game, they didn't quite show up for it. But this is a revenge game. This is a classic Brett Bielma revenge game.
1: I mean, this is the biggest revenge game you've had since what? I mean... 2007, you had a great season. So 2008 against Michigan wasn't really, did it have that kind of feeling.
0: Yeah. I and mean, we smoked him in t- 2008, but it wasn't because of revenge. No. <laughs> the juice was yeah. unconscious that day.
1: I mean, would it have been if you played Michigan in 02? Uh, or no, no, no. The, he, the Michigan was 2000.
0: 2000. And that boy, oh boy, was that. I've never seen and never will see Memorial Stadium that lit. It was absolutely insane. And, you know, there were bad calls at the end of it, which helped. You find your way to a loss, and what was just oh man, uh, I've never seen a blood lusty crowd like that.
1: I mean, I remember I texted Lon last last year after the Purdue game because I I was really upset after the Indiana game, but that kind of that that one stuck with me a little bit more than I thought it would, and that I you know I'm surprised in hindsight that it did because it was so early in the season, but that one stuck with me for a little bit. I. Don't even remember most of the time how I feel about that game now because I what I felt after the Purdue game. I texted Lon after that saying, Is this on par with 2000 Michigan? No. Because this is the oh my, well, that I don't even want to imagine. Like, as far as the feeling you had after a loss in that, mm-hmm. I was dist- distraught. I was that broke me more than any other Illinois loss. In my time as a, as a player or a fan.
0: Yeah, uh, me too, Harry, uh, for moderate, like, but I, the reason 2000 stung as much as it did is it felt like we were on the press. And you're probably going to say, well, yeah, we felt like that last year because of the buildup to that game. And it actually, 2000 wasn't a revenge game. You beat them in 1999. So the thought was, oh, now they come here and we're going to be even better and we're going to beat Michigan twice and we're going to, uh, we are going to affirm our status under Ron Turner, of all people. We're going to affirm our status as a new team to be reckoned with in the Big Ten. ABC, Saturday night, 6.30, the drunkest, loudest, angriest fans I've ever seen. It was intoxicating for my, I guess I would have been an eighth grader, to just feel that energy in the place. It was insanity, Harry. And it was the most dejecting, walking out of that stadium, and it took for freaking ever because it was packed to the brim. And we're going down the... You know, ramps in the southeast, uh, you know, the the tunnels that get you up to the ramp, uh, upper deck. Yeah. And it just, people it were despondent. And because of that shared despondency, it was a little bit different than last year where, you know, there were like 35,000 people on a really crappy weather day. The Michigan State laws took a lot of energy, a lot of wind out of people's sails. And I was still there to rah-rah them through. And it sucked. Man, it really did. But no, I am in a complete agreement with Lon. The Michigan loss in 2000 was soul crushing. It 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 really felt like we missed a grand opportunity and then that team completely flailed the rest of the season to a 5 and 6 record and they were too good for that.
1: I mean, hey, though they flew right into 2001 with that explosive team that year, so that's they all you did. can ask for.
0: And and to their credit, after the 5 and 6 season, Kirk Kittner got injured in that second to last game at home against Ohio State. Mike Doss, do you remember that safety, Mike Doss? he was early 2000s playing the NFL. He leveled Kittner. And I don't think it was, I don't recall if it was a dirty hit, it might have been helmet to helmet, but I can't recall. And that took away any opportunity of getting a sixth win and going to a bowl game. But I digress because we're talking sad stuff. Here's the deal, Harry. <laughs> Here's the deal. If they win and I don't care if it's by one point in the ugliest game that we've ever seen. If they win for the first time this year, Harry, I think aloha football fans will feel something they haven't felt really since last year at Nebraska, and that's joy. That's joy because the Toledo game was, phew, and the Florida Atlantic game was, okay, whatever. But last November and the bowl game left you thinking, oh, well, that's kind of a bummer. Joy. We have yeah. not felt that for way too freaking long.
1: Yeah. With with the first four weeks of the year so far, even if you throw in Penn State as a Big Ten you know, opponent. It's kind of different. It still almost has that non-conference feel because you don't play them nearly as much. When you are in conference play, like you said, even say we get to the end of the year, in which this could happen. I kind of leaning towards. I don't think it will, but we could be in this situation where last game of the year, you need to beat Northwestern in order to win the Big Ten West, right? God, I just said them. Northwestern looks as bad as they have all year. They're two and nine to that point because somehow they got that one over Minnesota. But you know, you're going into that game. You should have no problem. You beat them by thirty the last two years. If you beat them by, like you said, a point, you don't care. I mean, two—that's a perfect example as it happened in two thousand one. You won the Big Ten championship with an ugly game over Northwestern, right? No, they weren't uh, that close.
0: Oh, yeah, no. It it was actually uh you were up six. Northwestern had the ball. They had Christian Morton, our cornerback, beat. Christian slipped. And we're watching with bated breath as this pass sails over the head of the Northwestern receiver. We've been the go ahead touchdown. And it, yeah, it was it was unnecessarily close, but that's that's a great example of it. And here's the thing, Harry. I mean, even what we've seen, the Big Ten West title, it sounds ludicrous based on the first four games, but at Purdue, Nebraska at home, you know, I don't know. I'm sorry. If you're okay, you should win those two games. Minnesota, I don't care if it's on the road. We we played them just fine on the road two years ago. I think we can do it again. They look bad, and they have a terrible Kalakaki Malaki is.
1: Kaliak Manis. Kaliak Manis. I it, Thank you. I, I, I knew I was going to need to be able to pronounce it because you were going to just call him Kaliakalakal. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: and I'm not making fun of Greek names, by the way. I love Greek names. I'm just making fun of the fact that he's entirely <laughs> mediocre. And, and then Northwestern. So think about this. You could find yourself in a situation where if you simply split Wisconsin and Iowa and you win these other games that i mean if if this team picks it up they certainly can you potentially could have a 5 and 1 record against the big 10 west going into the northwestern game and i got to think that'd be enough regardless of what happens against maryland that would put you three losses 5 and 3 if you include penn state maryland and either iowa or wisconsin all i'm saying is You know, this is big on its face in the moment on Saturday, but it's also potentially big if this team is to figure it out within the next few weeks and actually start playing like a team that could challenge for the Big Ten West. You don't want this looming in the background as an early disappointing loss that just completely derails any chance you have.
1: I mean, like Indiana last year. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you win that game against Indiana, I... Not necessarily sure how the tiebreakers work know. out, but I think I think you have a chance to win the Big Ten West. Then I mean it it, it just it plays out differently as the season goes on. Um, because yeah, I think you do because you, you ended tied with Purdue. Uh, and- no,
0: they they ended seven and two. They ended seven and two, and they were uh. Let me make sure that's right. They were seven and two. You were six and three. Is that right? Or were you five and four? You were five no, because, and four. Oh, they were. Yeah. They were six and three, and their other non-conference loss was to Syracuse. So what would have happened is, yeah, you could have beaten Indiana, and you'd also be at six and three. What you needed was for Purdue to lose at Indiana, us to beat Northwestern, and Nebraska to beat Iowa to get a three. three, Yes, and then you go for the Big Ten West records, and we would have had the best overall. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think.
1: We don't know, I don't think this is going to happen because of how bad the, the division has looked in general. But yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at it and saying if you split, if you win the games you're supposed to, which are all the games that aren't Wisconsin, Iowa, and Maryland, and you split Wisconsin and Iowa, that gives you a shot. Yes. Because, because... What are you going to do if Wisconsin goes on a heater? What are you going to do if Iowa pulls off an upset? Because I know a bunch of these teams are, with their crossovers, I don't know if Wisconsin plays Michigan or, or Ohio State, or if, if Iowa plays one of those two. Well, What are you going to do if they pull the upset of the year and, and beat Michigan or beat Ohio State? There's nothing you can do about that. But if you split those, it gives you a shot. And... I, I, that's all you can ask for. So, because we've seen Purdue started out, I think, what was it? They did not start out super great last year, and they mm-hmm. won the Big Ten. West. They almost lost to Fort
0: Atlantic at home. Sound familiar? I mean, you yes. know, like.
1: I mean, Northwestern started, I think, 0-2 or 0-3 the first time they won the Big Ten West in uh, in 2019. It's it, it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing in the non-conference as long as you're able to pick it up. Once you get into the meat of your schedule, the important part, the uh, the conference play, but I mean the way that the Eagles have been playing this so far this season, they're three. It's not apple; it's apples and oranges. It's not a perfect analogy, but they've looked kind of a little sloppy, albeit on their way to a three and 0 record. But what you keep hearing Jalen Hurts saying and Nick Sirianni saying is, "We're not playing our best football. We shouldn't be playing our best football." And that's kind of the mindset that hopefully these guys are having: is that We got out of the first four games of the season 500 and we did not play the way we wanted to play. And I'm also kind of, you know, narrowly looking in on the offensive line on this. We have not played the way that we want to play. We are going up against some big boys now. We need to be able to I'm sorry. We got to be able to nut up on this part of the season and really be able to kind of impose our will against weaker teams even if they are in our division especially in the trenches you gotta you gotta be able to push around purdue you gotta be able to push around the likes of of northwestern indiana those are the ones and then the other ones it's just like you said the games were it's more so what we've seen a lack of whether it's from minnesota or, or nebraska than uh, than anything you've seen on your side so i mean it it matters what you do early you can't you can't destroy that you can't make your season early on but you can end your season early on yes and so far i think they've stayed afloat so at the end of the day at the first four weeks look the way we want them to no if you are able to just not don't do what you did last year because i mean hey when's illinois going to start seven and one again it doesn't happen if you're able to make this a memorable season, if you're able to split with Iowa and Wisconsin, if you're able to go into Northwestern with a chance to win the Big 10 West, who the hell is going to care how you looked against Toledo and FAU early on? They won't. And that's kind of what the mindset's going to be for for this team, I think.
0: You said 20 to 6, so you expect a low-scoring kind of grungy, dirty affair. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, I it's hard for me to think that there's ever going to be high scoring when this game's at West Lafayette. That place, it just seems muggy, even when it's not. Um, this team, I mean, I, Hudson Card is a decent quarterback, but I just, I, I, until I see it, I guess, from Purdue because I guess they put up some points against Fresno State. They kind of put up some points against Syracuse, but I think your defense, like you said, is coming, coming to, um, you know, coming up a little bit. Maybe I'll amend that. But what I want to say is that I think this game isn't going to be close, even if the score indicates that it is like, I don't know, 21 to 10, 21 to 13. But you kind of are in control for the most part.
0: Fair. I th- I'm i going to go with considerably more high scoring because I-, I think it's just going to get weird. I think it's going to be Illinois 30 and let's call it Purdue 23. And the big difference in this game is going to be that the defense, while I like a lot of what they've done, Hudson Card is a guy that can make some plays, and Purdue just always seems to have playmakers that trouble us. Even Devin McAbee last year who had a really good game, and it was like, what the hell is this? So I'm saying the 23 because the most encouraging part of it of last week was, for the defense, they were continually able to make stops when it counted the most. And I would count holding... Due to a field goal when they go on some extended drives, holding them to four field goals, or I guess that would be three field goals and two touchdowns. Meanwhile, finally the offense scoring output matches the yardage output. I mean, credit to this offense. Barry Lunny can drive me crazy because I feel like the identity is still lacking and it's very inconsistent. You know, Iowa put up 76 yards against Penn State. Yes, at Penn State. You put up 380. And that was with four turnovers. There's something there. And it feels like there's something still left untapped. I think they finally kind of do it because of that extra juice they have behind them, mentally speaking, in this game. And you win 30-23 to and feel great. And if you lose, we'll cover that Sunday. But win and you feel great. You feel awesome going into Nebraska next Friday.
1: I apologize to the listeners for this truck outside of the apartment that has just been making noise for the last 20 seconds. can
0: hardly hear it. You're fine.
1: I mean, it's making that beep when you back up, but you don't need to back up for that long. I <laughs> thought you that going for, like, five seconds. It is still going. Whatever. Um, yeah, man, if we – you've seen – hey, it's – nope, it stopped for a second. Mm. Uh, you, you've seen me as despondent Illini former player and current fan Harry Black. You know, that was 2017, 2018 when they just, you know, I always start the season with high expectations and then you have that one loss until I see that one loss this year. And it could, I mean, Hey, could it be this week? Who knows? We didn't think we were going to lose 42 to seven to Purdue in 2018, but it happened. It happens. If you, if, if this game gets out of hand and you lose by multiple scores, that's um yeah that's, that's hard is. to that's hard to live with
0: yep it can't and, and frankly it can't and honestly i just think that knowing purdue might just actually stink this year harry and, and they might just actually stink and ryan walters is a first year coach that's tough sledding get it done and no matter how you get it done it feels great so here's the deal we'll talk next week hope to god it's about a three and two team with a very messy nebraska team coming in and another opportunity for illinois to right this ship because the winning has to start now, Harry. It's got to start now. Otherwise, we're going to be concerned through the entire month of October. I want to start having some fun again. Uh, so I always have fun talking with you, even if it's not after a great game or anything. So we'll we'll have good things to talk about next Wednesday. Yes, right. I, I, I am
1: feel I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about this one. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, have what you you always say with the sponsors. A hey, a uh, celebratory calzone. Because there is actually a DP dough here in stores. Wow! No uh, kidding. Over yeah, there's a DP dough and there's a. Well, that's the only one I'm going to say because the other ones aren't sponsors. Fair. But yeah, there's <laughs> a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we can't uh, have yeah, the other you're, calzones,
0: you're, uh, calzone places in stores. Uh, you know, infringing on the DP dough market.
1: I, what are you talking about? I mean, I love, I love me some DP. You know what? That's uh, it's my, it's my favorite uh. It's My favorite college, uh, college food.
0: They, they, they got stickers with that too. So they really played into that as well. Harry, we'll talk to you next week, man. Always appreciate it. All right, all right. See, bud. That is Harry Black joining us here on the Two Hundred Level, Episode Three, Tree shh-fifty-five. 50, Group X fans might remember Fifty Five dpdo speaking of online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices dpdo.com also state farm agent brian hansen online at brianismyguy.com life auto home business renters you name it brian is my guy and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com dogtown heating air and plumbing your home's best friend give them a call at 217-841-4728 that's dogtown heating air and plumbing also uh, Owen Builders LLC online at owenbuildersllc.com. Go online to check a gallery of their awesome work. That's Luke Owen and the awesome craftsman at owenbuildersllc.com. Got to thank Champagne Showers Podcast Network and thank you, the listener. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that goes a long way. Time to win. Time to win a damn game. So let's get it done. Hopefully, when we talk to you Sunday, it will be about something good. Have a great few days. Have a great start to your weekend and may we be talking about a 3 and 2 team in just a few days. It is the 200 level.